0: This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the
1: inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield.
0: Hello everybody and welcome to the latest Liverpool.com podcast. I am Christian Walsh and with me this week are the same people who were with me last week. It's uh, Dan Morgan and Joel it. How are we gentlemen?
2: How are we? The question, the, the eternal question is back. Uh, I've got an actual answer for it this week as well Good job! So well. It's my
1: first day of freedom after 14 days in quarantine after coming back from Spain so yeah, exciting to actually go out and do things again which is nice
0: Have you done the old Shawshank Redemption? Sort of, you know, crawling through a sea of uh, sewage and then <laughs> waiting for the heavens to open and, and just let the, the, the rain take you away? I
1: haven't got any plans really I've just been sat at a desk working all day But
0: You should do that when you're finished, you know
1: yeah, we'll see. A bit, of
0: sure shank. a bit of sure shank. How about you, Dan? Have you, you not being in quarantine? I'll actually might as well share this with the listeners and the and, and the viewers. Uh, however you are consuming this, it might be on our podcast, it might be on our YouTube channel. Um, but I've actually now managed to see both Joel and Dan in person, um <laughs> which is a lovely little a lovely little boost. Um so it, it, it's quite nice, a bit a little bit weird, not quite sure where to look or where the gaze is meant to go. Bit weird, sort of not shaking hands with people.
1: Yeah. but Then
0: thinking about it, it was always a little bit weird. We did that anyway, wasn't
1: it? You
0: almost missed me. Was not it had to. Uh, had to I, didn't, I didn't recognize yeah. you, Joel. I, I, yeah, I, I was. I, I was off to get me a. Uh, it was my first haircut since since lockdown. So um I'm surprised you noticed me. To be fair, because you know I'm, I'm not really someone who, who you see with a full head of hair. That's probably going a little bit too far to say it was a full <laughs> head of hair. To be fair, uh, it was. It was. It was trying. Um, but it, it certainly wasn't a, it wasn't the whole shebang. But yeah, it was. A, it, it's been nice to see people. Um, I suppose we, we we might as well uh, crack on. And what we want to talk about this week? Well, we're going to talk about what's in the news around not just Liverpool but, but football in general. Uh, we're going to talk about the results of our poll from last week. Uh, the you know tier rankings. If you haven't listened to that episode, please go back. It is available in the archives. Uh, we'll discuss that a little bit more in, in a moment and. Also, we want to have a look at the pre-season storylines that we're going to follow. Uh, this is both in terms of Liverpool, and if we've got a little bit of time, we might also talk a little bit about the storylines that we're interested in following during pre-season around other clubs, leagues, and just general things. Uh, so, we'll, I suppose we'll crack on with what's in the news. Um, I suppose we'll start with a little bit of Liverpool, because there's, you know, I think we will get into what happens over the past week or so. A little bit later in terms of Champions League and Europa League, but uh, Tiago, um, don't want to spend too long on this, gents, but there's more conflicting reports. Uh, it, it's very much, um, one side is saying that it, it, the, that he's not an active target for Liverpool, there's another side, uh, who are, who are saying that, um, the deal's all but done, you know, the deal has been agreed in principle between the player and the uh, the club. Now, what we're sort of seeing is things from, for example, Fabrizio Romano in the Guardian saying, well, actually, they might be a little bit apart here in the evaluation of the player. Um, So I just want to talk about this in general. Dan, where where do you sort of... Where do you sit on this side of the fence? Because, I mean, we we sort of know who's saying what. Um, This isn't to say that anybody's wrong or right. It's just an open discussion, I suppose, about where you feel... This whole Thiago thing is going
2: um i'm, I'm slightly <clears throat> i'm slightly myself con- conflicted with it chris if i'm honest in in the sense that it feels like everybody who's reporting on it uh, is giving themselves a way out if the deal doesn't happen um and whilst the statements are very forthright in one sense i.e the player and the club of, of agreed terms there's still sort of the the caveat of yeah but the two clubs are, are apart in in valuations and that just feels to me like like it's a case of well if if in a month's time it, and the deal doesn't happen and he moves to psg then then people can say well yeah i wasn't wrong just liverpool and Bayern couldn't agree a deal and and so for me it's it's probably one of the oddest transfer sagas of recent times i mean you you you're sort of pro forma for the transfer saga it is club approaches club um we know that in negotiations either the price is sticking points and everyone accepts that that's a thing or the player is you know maybe conflicted gets different offers waiting for someone else to come in that type of thing it's all that's usually how these things play out this is very um it's very cloak and dagger and it's 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 one of those where ultimately someone what the thing I find fascinating is that ultimately someone's gonna end up with egg in the face here in some form. Um and that's even if, you know, Thiago doesn't happen that there's gonna be there's gonna be journalists who who are gonna look a bit silly. Um because they've gone out on a whim. Fair play to them, if they've they've had good information or whatever, let's not let's not pull down people in the industry because they're trying to, you know, they report on what they believe to be true. But at the same time, it's just one that you I, I find impossible to call. I want it to happen, by the way. I'll just throw that in.
0: Joe, before I move on to you, I just want to sort of, you know, put it from my perspective there. And I think you're spot on, Dan, in the sense that I don't, I mean, this is this is a massive myth around transfer windows. And, you know, I've been involved in in lows as a reporter um and, and latterly as an editor when i was at the, you know sort of at the echo the, the sports audience editor um you know nobody makes things up no. um when it comes to this kind of thing nobody is just going necessarily they will be well sourced um they have good contacts um so when you're looking at people saying tiago's happening even though it's happening over in, in you know a lot of the noises is coming from Germany a couple of noises from France etc they're not doing this to, to swell the followers on social media they're not doing it for that kind of reason it's just that they're being told one thing and obviously another side is being told another and right. um, things change in terms of football transfers I mean we, we only saw a couple of uh, well, I mean, what's been the past 24 hours David Silva looked like he was signed, sealed and delivered, going to Lazio, everybody reports it, um, and then all of a sudden he's gone to San Sebastian uh, with Real Sociedad, um, you know, the, the journalists who were reporting that he was going to Lazio weren't wrong, uh, it was just the fact that things change, you know, you want to put this onto Liverpool, Nabil Fakir, uh, yeah. you know, I uh, I have to write the story that it had fallen through uh, at um, Joe Rimmer's 30th birthday party. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that, that's that's probably a story for offer. But it's uh, it one of the loosest bits of copy I've ever written, I'll tell you that. But it wasn't that it wasn't happening previously. It's just that the goalposts had changed and things had changed. So it's a really interesting situation here where it's clear that two sides of this, this argument are, are telling they're sort of telling people what what they know um and what they think they know um and it's just going to be really really interesting to see for what it's worth again i want Tiago to come to liverpool but i would side with the the reporters who are saying there's no there's there's nothing going on um just because i know the people who are reporting that and i know you know things can change but i just feel like it's quite definitive when they're saying that they're not an active saga but again joel and i'll you know i'll move this on to you just as much as we sort of say there that the the sticking points might be the price and and therefore it makes it look like um you know one side of the of the reporting wasn't right well the, the the other the other side of that coin is the fact that Liverpool at the moment, it seems like he's not an active target, but but could that change? That, that feels like that could definitely change, especially when the Champions League finishes.
1: Yeah, the Champions League is the big thing here, I think. It's difficult to find what an, an active target means. Does that mean they just haven't made an official bid yet, or they're just waiting? Because he could just become an active target in a couple of weeks when the Champions League's all done. Um, that could change. My gut instinct is that I think when the th- the news first broke it was sort of early july wasn't it so it was about six weeks or so now i think if it was complete nonsense and liverpool weren't interested at all it probably would have, have continued as much as it is if anything it's been getting stronger over his last few days so I, my feeling is that there is something in it i don't think that necessarily means they're going to sign him this summer i think there's a couple of other factors there um that i think might be significant i think one is sales we haven't really heard anything in terms of where Harry Wilson, who's obviously not in Austria at the moment, I think that's due to injury. Um, but you'd expect if offers come in, he might be one that goes on. Gruwich, again, is training with a squad, but as another who is a lot of midfield, he's got a breakthrough. Um, so you'd think if, if Hertha or another club comes in with a decent amount of money, those two alone probably could cost or well, cover the majority, if not all, of the fee that Bayern are looking for, supposedly. Um, I think as well with the Aldum question, I'm not entirely convinced that this is actually linked to it. I think in an ideal world, they'd extend Wijnaldum's contract and sign Thiago because I think he's just a great player and they want him. I don't think it's necessarily a case that he's a replacement, but if they have a feeling that Wijnaldum's not going to extend, then they would be silly not to be putting contingency plans in place. Um, As well, I think it's interesting just the kind of language that's used around the fee because I think initially it was said £30 million then some people have been saying 30 million euros, which is closer to sort of 28 million pounds. And you don't know what Liverpool's... Liverpool are saying they don't want to pay that, but you don't know what they do want to pay. It could just be 25 million, which, if that's the case, it's not that difficult to see them sort of reaching a little bit of a middle ground. If they're only willing to pay 18 or 20, then maybe it becomes a bit more difficult. And that's where I think it was the Guardian piece mentioned the possibility of a pre-contract in January. Um, But then that leads you into... Well, he's 29 he's only got a limited amount of seasons left at this level do you really want to miss a season of him kind of in this shape when he could help you win a league straight away um and also if you don't sign him now then does a man city or a psg start to kind of see an opportunity and come in there there's all these kind of things so if i was to head for my bets (laughs) i i would love it to happen like you two i at the moment I'm not certain, but I don't think it will. I just feel like there's, yeah, there's something about it. that I think if, if it was going to happen, maybe we know more by now. But I think, yeah, I think you just got to wait till the Champions League's over and see. But I'd be amazed if there's not some concrete truth behind the rumours.
0: Another thing, just before we move on to, uh, to to the Champions League and Europa League, you know, I, I, I say this, and I'm sure you guys have echoed it, but just, just, just be nice to people on social media. You know, just, just just be just be nice to I mean that goes for everything in life, but you know, with this whole Thiago thing, if somebody's got information and, and they say that Liverpool are interested, just be nice. Just just you know, that that's that that's what that's that's fine. You it's know, not gonna ruin
2: you, your day, is it? If not, it, it shouldn't if it turns out not to be right.
0: Exactly. Just 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 be nice to people. You don't you don't go to a restaurant or so you shouldn't go to a restaurant and kick off at a waiter because he says that the uh, the super desires and what you want it to be. So, you know, just just have a little think about that, please, and, uh, and let's all try and just be a little bit nicer to each other, especially around the transfer window. On saying that, uh, the next five minutes we're just going to spend laughing at Manchester City, Manchester <laughs> United, States, Barcelona, and maybe Atletico Madrid. Um, no, I, Joel, it was a, a week that I don't think anybody would have envisioned, but also week that ultimately from a Liverpool persuasion is uh, is certainly one of the most memorable since since lockdown began
1: yeah it was great all of it really um,
0: are you happy at let's go when else I just want to take that straw poll are you happy
1: um yes and delay so, but that's partly just a kind of a petty thing really. yeah exactly <laughs> um I don't think I mean at that point my thinking was was almost Yes, I would prefer them to go out, but also I thought they were probably the team in that side of the draw that had the best chance of stopping Man City, because in my head, City were just going to get to the final, um, which obviously hasn't turned out to be the case. But yeah, I thought Atletico of a team that's probably going to put up the strongest fight there. Um, It was funny listening to the sort of preamble around that game, because there was a lot of talk about them and how they, they scored all those goals against Liverpool and stuff as if they'd kind of powered their way past us and I thought there wasn't a huge amount in their performance against Leipzig that was drastically different to what they did against Liverpool over two legs it was just Leipzig didn't make the mistakes that Liverpool made really Um so yeah, that was enjoyable obviously that the Barca Bayern I wasn't massively surprised that they got a bit of a hiding I didn't think it would be 8-2 I mean I think that took, took everyone a little bit by surprise but the whole Coutinho thing was if you needed a microcosm of why that club is in trouble, and they have a player who they've spent all that money on coming on to score twice and set up one against them um, in a Champions League quarter final, that was it. Um, so yeah, that that was amusing as well in its own way. Uh, and then the City one was—I uh, was almost at the point where I didn't even want to watch that match because I thought that's out of the four quarters, that's the one that's just essentially a default result. City would just win that sort of probably by half time and then just cruise their way um and it didn't happen like that again even when they equalized at one all i just sort of thought they'd go on and score a second and a third and be fairly comfortable but i mean i'm sure you guys will come on to it but what he was doing with his team selection that night to change your entire sort of setup to to cater for a team that finished seventh i know league one didn't finish properly but they're hardly uh hardly a behemoth are they leon and yeah to play three-five-two, and yeah it wasn't the city that you've been scared of um for the last few years so yeah that was amusing and then obviously bernardo silvers had an interesting few days online <laughs> as well so that's a sort of fun
0: then you wrote a piece about bernardo Silva, and it's something that we, we spoke about you sort of took the bullets um in the editorial meeting that we had about it, and you said oh go on i'll race it then but you know just it's worth us all talking about it now um he, he's a he's a bit of a weird character bernardo silva because he's what 24 25 he's just had a really sort of bang average season for city but ultimately he just seems a little bit petulant a little bit uh annoying um and probably doesn't enamor himself to, to go guardiola that much do, do you find this a little bit weird Dan, this this kind of almost the squad um bernardo silva versus Liverpool sort of angle because ultimately everyone would always associate either Guardiola or even Raheem Sterling But you'd imagine if crowds are back come the start of uh, or wherever the crowds are back uh, We don't know that yet, but you'd imagine he'd get a bit of a rough reception as well uh, Maybe I'm maybe I'm over over deliberating over something. That's just an internet storm But I, I don't know it just feels like that and the guard of honor It feels like he's almost made himself public enemy number one on Anfield
2: I think he's probably, I'd imagine in some way Guardiola loves him because I think he's probably, looking at his actions, he's probably the biggest Guardiola disciple in that squad in the sense that he just believes anything he says um, because it's so intense, is my point. It's so us um, it so against the world that Pep has built that he just seems to have, have bought into that times 100. Um so for me, yeah, he's he's probably taken it too far. To be honest, I mean, the Guard of Honor was was just sheer petulance. Um, and and look, we have to come at this from a Liverpool point of view, which we will do. Um, it might be that there's a lot of Manchester City fans who see him as sort of you know the voice of the people, if you like, you know, sticking it to the masses, sticking it to 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 the opposition, to the rivals, and and, and you know, we just touched on social media before you know nobody has as a divine right to be trolled by people of of whatever fan base and certainly no matter based on how much money they earn so if he's if he's sort of if he's sort of let loose because of that then fair enough so that that needs to be factored but at the same time i just i thought it was a bit odd that you sort of mocking people on twitter whilst simultaneously being on twitter engaging in people that you're mocking <laughs> you know what i mean like i just i just thought the whole thing was a bit weird and then to come back sort of 24 hours later and carry it on if that was I, the only question i asked when i wrote the piece was if that was a liverpool player how would you feel and for me i'd i'd, I'd be feeling a, a wee bit embarrassed i've got to be honest i'd be feeling a little bit like i'd be feeling like my own team's heads wasn't in the right place um Going into another season uh, where you had to compete with this team, it, you know, and, and we've been on the other side of this. Don't let's let's not let's not kid ourselves. You know, Rafa raffer and Ferguson and his list of facts was was correct, by the way, <laughs> in many senses. <laughs> Let, it was also out. a great diversion tactic, uh, but we we'll, we won't talk about that today. I've, but got, a massive, I've got
0: a massive idea about that. But
2: yeah. Well, it didn't come off. Did it? Let's have it no. right. I mean, well, we can say it didn't come off. It goes to Old Trafford and wins four one. But if you listen, if you listen and, and read, sort of Gerard and Carragher's interpretation of it, it, it sort of didn't go down well in the dressing room, is my point. And, um, and yeah, I think I think someone should sort of be having a word with Bernardo. But but this is my sort of Man City thing: is that th- to me they don't act like an elite club. In that sense, it sort of it reminded me a little bit of when Pep lost his head at Anfield, and nobody got a grip of him nobody let him nobody basically said to him sit down your, your head's gone here you, you need to sit down you've completely lost it they let him just run amok and, and completely embarrass himself in front of the fourth official in front of fifty-five thousand fans who absolutely were lapping it up and i and I don't think there's that I, don't, I just don't think there's that voice collectively inside man city where just it just says all right let's rein this in a bit here you know, let's just sort of take a bit of a step back. I think it's all, it all, I think it all feels a bit new to them. So the concept of sort of rivalries and manufactured rivalries, Liverpool know well and have done for years. You know, Chelsea's a great example under Raffa, for example. And you go back to Forest in the 80s and there's, there's all kinds of sort of rivalries beyond your mainstream Everton and Man United. So, yeah, I don't, I don't think they quite know how to handle the fact that sort of Jürgen Klopp has got Liverpool to where he's got them and they expected everything to be on their terms and, and now it's not the case.
1: Laporte was on as well the morning after losing, kind of whinging about the VAR decision. And I think it's fine to kind of think that and feel aggrieved if you think it was a foul. I'm not entirely sure that it was. But again, it, it points to that thing that Dan about, said about the being just a bit thin-skinned really for senior pros to be doing that. I think you think of what Liverpool have been through over the last few years, Losing the league by a point on the last day, or the Kiev final against Real Madrid or Atletico Madrid this season, and they would have had all kinds on social media. But you wouldn't want to see Trent or Van Dyke or someone coming out and lashing out at opposition fans on, on social media. So, yeah.
2: nobody, no, sorry, Joel, nobody's, nobody's raised a point about Kevin De Bruyne winning player of the year, yeah. by the way. Nobody's kicked up a fuss about it. Nobody, that's and, and rightly so, by the way. We can have our arguments around Sadio Mane and Jordan Henderson, whoever, but everybody seeing De Bruyne win that award, I went, yeah, fair enough. Had a great season. Fine, move on. But like you say, Joel, it just seems to be, it, it's sort of it, it, it's sort of a self-fulfilling prophecy for them, for City, when something like that happens, they see it as a personal affront to them, which is I, I find completely sort of mad.
0: I, I um i would I, I was going to bring up just i mean we don't want to stay we could do do you know what we could do it's, it's an interesting one man city because you know you write things about man city and people say that they're not interested but you know we see how many people read the things that that are written about man city for example and and you know they are very well read and people do care about it you know people might want to admit that this is a rivalry but it does feel like it is some sort of rivalry in whatever way it is um you know just just to make a really quick point about what you say in there dan about you know not quite knowing how to behave in the in, with this sort of rivalry this this whether it's manufactured or whether it's become more organic i don't know but you know obviously they're all on the plane that video of them singing you know their version of la 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 which have got some very uh derogatory and, and uncomfortable um, imagery around, around things, you know, the, the lyrics, you know, obviously not going to repeat them on this podcast. Um, you can always Google that, but, you know, that kind of thing, you just wouldn't imagine Liverpool doing that, of course. Um, the only time I've ever sort of in the past two years felt a little bit like that with Liverpool, and it's not been on social media, it's been straight after a match in the heat of the moment, is when Andy Robertson, um, after the nil nil draw at Everton. Um, and I've just got the, the quote up here. Actually, he said something to the lines of, uh, "They think that they've completely been wrong. Hopefully, our fans can rub it into them at the end of the season." Now, Liverpool go on and win, you know, every game that there is. that after that, uh, and and just miss out by a point. That's the only time in the past two years, or one of the very few times, I thought, you know, you you've got, you can't let it show that it's getting to you um but that's in the in the heat of the moment straight after the game you know bernardo and look we've all been there he's probably been looking at his mentions and just been going do you know what everyone have a day off you know what i mean but it's um you know so i, I do have a source of sympathy with him i think going back for that second bite of the cherries just a bit, nah. you know this is this is enough now bernardo like you, you know you, you've uh you've had your fun um and, and just really really quickly and then we'll move on um Manchester United, not going to win the Europa League. Didn't really matter that they were going to win the Europa League, really. Although it's always nice not to see United with a trophy. Um, and also, it's turns out they can't defend.
2: Who knew? <laughs> I mean, three semi-finals is, is something that just sticks out to me. And, that you know, there was the thing around Cloth for so long, wasn't it, about him being a bottler in big games and one-off games. And, yeah, I mean... Getting to a final itself looks like an achievement when, when that's the case. But but to sort of bow out at three semis, I think that's quite damning. Um, and I never bought into the club thing at all. But just when you look at United and and see where the frailties are, they are just the epitome of them minute of fallen short. Not even at the last hurdle, you know, before that. And, and I think that that sort of encapsulates that type of feeling for me
0: the blood red podcast from the liverpool echo I want to move on to now to the poll um, this is going to be a regular segment on our podcast um, so basically last week we, we played a little game um called the tier game and, and we wanted to split um every every liverpool player into one of six tiers uh, which reflected how how likely you would be to, to sell them so you know allison trent van dyke all in tier 1 because you would absolutely not sell them uh, loris Carius, for example uh, although he is back in training um uh-huh. <laughs> it, uh, he's uh, he's like a tier 6 it's one of those where if you get a bid for him and it's not derogatory um, or derisory you will you will be taking that um so what we did then is 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 put out on our social channels um, at liverpool.com underscore on twitter uh, and also liverpool.com facebook page we put out uh, the polls for, for for you guys the listeners to to take part in i just wanted to run through a couple of the results and and you know we can discuss them um and we'll be doing this every week i think we we'll, we will discuss uh, or we will be doing it as long as you wanted to do it. you know if people stop replying to our polls then we'll take the hint but for now you know we have a decent response people are interested um so we'll, we'll keep on doing this every week. So a couple of little learnings I, I found from from what what the the listeners uh, sent in Jensen Mane was was tier one far more than Salah and Firmino, um, with Firmino having actually twenty eight percent of the votes saying he should be tier two, which was. More of a a world record bid, or, or in other words, you know, if if, if there was a a genuinely like blockbuster bid, you would consider it. Um, so it's I suppose from from the votes there, the hierarchy goes Mane, Salah, Firmino. Uh, I mean, is that in keeping with what with what you think, Joel, or is that a little bit unfair?
1: I'm not massively surprised by it. I think we touched on it a little bit last week with Firmino. He's It's a strange one, because in terms of, obviously, direct goal output, he's by far the lowest of the three. But you could make an argument he's probably the hardest to directly replace out of the three, Uh, if that makes sense, in terms of you'd have to... It's almost impossible to buy someone who does exactly the same thing. So you could go out and get a striker who scores you 20, 25 goals, but then you're probably going to reduce the output that you're getting from Mane and Salah as a result. Um, I think the only other thing with Firmino as well... Um, is he's obviously been there the longest out of all of them so there's a question of sort of miles on the clock how many seasons does he have um, at the same level but I still yeah, I wouldn't be taking well it, it would have to take an insane amount of money for me to even think about it I think with all of them as well they're not like obviously Mane and Salah are, are kind of very quick but they're not players that are absolutely dependent on just raw speed to do what they do, they're intelligent, they're creative it's not like if they lose two or three percent of their speed over the next few years that they become sort of drastically less effective footballers so yeah i'm not hugely surprised i think that there's maybe a slight surprise in the mane Salah discrepancy um if it was me i would have probably said in terms of actual market value Salah's slightly higher but maybe that's more to do with his kind of the whole image and the the off-pitch persona more so in terms of what the difference between them as players, which I think is probably pretty minimal at this point.
0: Eighty-one so percent for, um, for for Mane and tier one seventy-one percent for Salah and tier one
1: It's quite a big gap. Yeah. Uh, there's
0: a really big gap, and then sixty-six percent for Firmino, which yeah, it's, it's it was surprising, and, and obviously you know Trent Van Dijk, um, Allison all all finished higher than all of those three, uh, but it's just an interesting way to look at it and and people would maybe be open to to uh just not necessarily selling them but if a massive massive big came in at some point they, they will be considering it and um, we both discussed Matip and wine and um, well we all discussed Matip and wine on the on last week's pods dan uh and both fell within tier three which was kind of the you know we, we can be persuaded when we're not actively looking to sell but you know, throw enough sort of uh, money underneath our noses, and and uh, we'll listen. Does that surprise you, especially with maybe Matip? I mean, Wijnaldum maybe, as we've spoken about, a bit of a weird one given his current contract situation. But you know, are people sleeping on Matip a little bit?
2: Yeah, it does shock me. I mean, not 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 in terms of sort of Matip, um, personally per se, because he does have sort of an inconsistency that that is continued, but. It shocks me in the sense that, you know, we write pieces about sort of Fabinho at centre-back and, and I've, I've wrote something in Gruwich at centre-back or, or, you know, you can maybe hint towards Sepp Vandenberg, um, Kiana Hoover, whoever. And people, people scream at you that, that we, need, we need a centre-back desperately. You know, the voice, the social media voice is very much that we need to sign a centre-back. So I'm a little bit shocked that so many would sort of move to 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 get rid of another one if the right offer came in um because then that sort of doubles that need um and will probably lead to a midfielder playing there for a, for a considerable amount of the season really if especially if there was an injury to gomez or van dyke so so that surprises me when Alden doesn't um because of the situation I just, i'm just interested i've been sort of fascinated by the the perception of one album. i don't think it's changed too much with the, the contract situation but i just i find it that people do kind of see him as maybe the most dispensable of the midfielders and not a midfield including the likes of alex oxley chamberlain Nabi james milner it, do, it does feel quite relaxed about is it numbers down in, in terms of statistics
0: yeah is that what it is is the no tangible goals assists chances created you know when alden is the ultimate undefinable
2: player I, I mean i guess so i mean I, I guess it is probably a little a little bit of a sense of sort of i don't want to say inconsistency um but you know he, he does have games where he doesn't light it up and you know we we all sort of were quick to to sort of dismiss the the newcastle theory that he couldn't play away from home but he does perform better at Anfield. You can't you can't deny it. You know he does have games where after 55 minutes you wonder wondering where he's been on a football pitch. And and I'm I'm not tagging my love him to bits. I think he's phenomenal. I think in the big games he he turns up massively. I think he'll go down as a really underrated player. Whenever he does leave Liverpool, I just wonder with this whole thing whether sort of the data. Analysts, the the team around Jürgen Klopp has seen something with his his numbers and his trajectory, and that might be why they're acting on trying to get Thiago in now, or they're a bit bit more relaxed about his contract situation than than, than we think. I don't know. I'm I'm purely speculating there.
0: Naby uh, Keïta raged pretty much from one to three, which I thought it kind of encapsulates what Keïta is. Some people think that he is absolutely indispensable other other people will, will will potentially think about moving a moment if, if the price was right but it by and large he was he was very much in tier two where it's a case of you know if we get a bigger a, a big bids you know listen to it um and then oxley chamberlain interestingly was probably the most evenly distributed so yeah uh, i'll just get the numbers up now um if i can just find the the o- Chart there, so we have, uh, tier one twelve percent, tier two twenty two percent, tier three fifty four percent. So it was the majority tier three again, but then tier four ten and a half percent, um, not nothing really for tier five and and tier six. So again, it's it's interesting that you know Cater and Oxley Chamberlain feel like they're the two players who could be sort of the future Liverpool's midfield, um. I mean, I say future. actually team was twenty-seven now, but you know he's still still young. Um, but you know the, the, these two results are also seen as the the injection of of, of something that the, the midfield needs at the moment. But you know they're, they're very much divided. Um, and then just just finally Joel, just um, you know Shakiri, Origi and Gruich, I think I've loved them all together here in terms of the um the results from from the voters, just because they were all pretty much tier four or tier six. Um, so it's very much a Players, uh, fans are very open to to either selling these players for a good price or just selling them full stop. I mean, where's you? You just on those
1: three? I wouldn't necessarily clump them all together. I think they're slightly different paces. I think with Origi, there's definitely. Um, I don't want to be harsh on the guy because we all love him and he, he's a club legend and all that. But it's like I think there's enough people who have seen enough of Origi now that they just they just want something different. Yeah. Um, they don't want to see him coming off the bench for the last 20 minutes for another season. And there's maybe an argument that Origi doesn't necessarily want to do that himself for that much longer. Maybe one more season, but he's at some point got to think about playing regularly. Um, and yet he's by far the most established out of those three in terms of like a sure bet. You know what you're going to get out of him. It's not always exactly what you want. Um, Shaqiri is a fascinating one. I know we're going to come on to... Sort of pre-season storylines and he's one that i'm intrigued by i've written something about him the last few days because he's been speaking about his ambitions for the next season and he's one that i think a lot of people would almost put on the same list as kind of dejan love going into the summer as a, a near definite to leave and i don't think that's necessarily the case and i think given a season he's just had he's only played i think it was 280 minutes in all comps barely anything um He's one where I struggle to see many clubs gambling the money just because of his age, his injury record. He's he's not a sure bet at all. And I think for Liverpool, there's an argument with Shakira, He's got three years left on his current deal. Um, and I think if you keep him for one more season and he, he stays fit or at least more fit than he was last season and plays a few good games, you probably get more money next summer when things are a little bit more stable than you would if you just cashed in right now. Um so I wouldn't be keen on, on shifting him on. And Grisch is the one where I think when you write all the names down that Liverpool have in midfield going into the season, um, I think he comes in at something like number nine on the list, and that's without Thiago. So unless Dan's thing of of him being looked at at centre back, which is an interesting idea, but I'm not sure Klopp's actually going to look at it at all. Um, he's one where I'm actually surprised that Hertha haven't come in more with more of an offer than they have already. They have money. They have money here, sir. They have money. And all the noise coming out of there. There was a quote that he's one of the best midfielders they've had um, or something over the last couple of seasons. They have really liked what they've seen of him. And they signed a couple of midfielders um, themselves in January. So I don't know whether that maybe plays into it. But he, out of those three, I think, is the one where you think he's probably most immediately dispensable just because of the sheer weight of numbers in front of him
0: good chat lads uh i think next week so we'll be running another poll uh, and we'll be doing this again we'll be asking you the, uh, the viewer slash listener to to give us your thoughts um with a poll you can also while you're doing that if you want to sign up for our little.com newsletter all you have to do is uh, leave your email and uh, we'll, we'll be sending you a, a newsletter every week that's certainly the plan anyway uh it not been getting sent uh, recently we we'll just had a couple of uh well, as as you probably heard, Joel's been uh, in quarantine for fourteen days, so we, we can't we can't be launching newsletters while people are in quarantine. Um, so we'll be uh, we, we will be doing that though, sending you uh, weekly newsletters. So if you go to our social channels, uh, Liverpool.com on Facebook or uh, at Liverpool.com underscore on Twitter, uh, and similarly, if uh, you want to, um, you know, if you listen to this podcast, it'll be in the description, the link. Uh, if you watch it on YouTube again. I've looked at the description, and there'll be a link there to, to take part in the poll. So next week, uh, we'll be discussing the results of this week's poll, and this week's poll is who do you think will get the most first team minutes this season um, between Curtis Jones, Nico Williams, Harvey Elliott, Keanu Hoover, Ryan Brewster, and Sepp Vandenberg. Just in one word, gents, who would you be voting for there?
2: Uh, Curtis Jones, yeah,
0: yeah. maybe williams for me jones or williams we'll be interested to, to see what people believe in um right so we're moving on to the pre-season story by the way i just need to say dan you were giving a really really good answer there about john but he put someone on ice cream van in the background um yeah yeah
2: yeah
0: yeah i listen halfway through and just started thinking of mini milks and feasts And wasn't uh, that
2: came through i didn't think it would
0: no yeah yeah it's a good little bit of ambiance to be honest um, phenomenal I was, stuff yeah, i was really happy with that so i had no idea what you think about my Wine alden but i know <laughs> that i really want a 99er um pre-season storyline so obviously liverpool are back in training uh, they're over in austria at the moment uh about an hour outside of salzburg and you have absolutely no chance of hearing me try and pronounce where they actually are staying um but they are somewhere in austria uh, in the mountains and it's one of the my my favourite times of the year to be honest, because you know it's 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 it, it's full of expectation, full of hope, and, and 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 the idea that you know it's it's almost a clean slate, um, and they've got a lot to defend this season. So you know, for me, I'm I, I'm really looking forward to preseason. Um, do, do, do you lads ever pay attention to preseason? I mean, what's your general feeling around it?
2: Yeah, I do. Um... I mean, no, we're writing sort of a bit of a fun piece at the minute about seeing players back in pre-season who you thought had long left the club and stuff like that. It is a bit of an odyssey in terms of it's, you know, when you look at it, when you look at the pitches in like February, March, it just seems like a lifetime away. And it does remind you of sort of the longevity of a of a football season in, in you know, the the nine-month span and how much can happen within that. But, yeah, I I enjoy it like you, Chris. I, you know, I mean... We often sort of lambast the concept of transfers and why everyone loves them so much, but that's the reason why, isn't it? You know, you want to see, you want to see the players come back. You want to see the new player in the in the training kit, and you want to sort of see him gelling with the squad. And it just adds to that sense of unknown and excitement. And and yeah, it's um, it's it's an odd one though. This season, it's it's, I mean, it's going to be over literally after the after the community shield because then we lose the majority of players to to um the nations league the internationals so that's that's going to be a real sort of a real sort of blow to Jurgen Klopp I think that he's, he he gets two weeks with them now which I'm sure he's maximizing to the fullest while they're in, in Austria but you know as soon as that that full time whistle goes against Arsenal at Wembley you know he's going to he's going to lose his players a, a large bulk of them for for the majority of two weeks and then they only come back sort of a couple of days before the first game so it's really really tough that and and i think you know we'll, we'll sort of know how how crucial this time is now come the end of, of next season at the business end when when the stories are coming out about sort of how they how they sort of diverted plans and how they modify plans to to make a league season work within the confines of, of this altered time that they've got. So Joel,
0: what what, what storylines are you looking forward to, to reading about, to, to writing about, and just generally sort of being around there in the next two, three weeks until the season starts? What are what are the sorts of things that are going to pique your interest?
1: Um I mean, more on Shakiri, I mean, I touched on it a little bit there, but I think he's just, he's fascinating because, so he played, could you guess how many minutes he's played in a calendar year? I was astonished when I found this out the other day, in 2020 alone.
2: 150. Um, are we talking the last calendar year?
1: This calendar year currently, so since since January onwards to now.
2: Um. About 63 or something like that
1: it's 17 so he came off the bench He <laughs> it came off the bench against Spurs in January and then Arsenal was the only time he came in in the restart so yeah if you'd asked me a few weeks ago I'd have said absolutely like they'd take almost any money they could um, to get rid this summer but I just think now given as such a short turnaround and the weight of fixtures and the small gaps between them I just think there's almost no point really getting rid if he wants to stay which from the words he was saying about how he's kind of really excited to make up for lost time and he wants to help the team win more titles and i know you you hear players say stuff like this before and doesn't mean that if an offer doesn't come in in the next few weeks that he could still leave um but i just think if you look at games like if liverpool are at home against an aston villa uh, or a west brom or something and and Salah's played the last six games in a row and needs a break I'm still at a point where I'd rather see Shakiri starting in that sort of game than, than chucking Harvey Elliott in from the start. Um, and I know you can't judge loads, but if you've been watching any of the, the inside Anfield clips of the training sessions, he looks really sharp, he looks fit, he looks excited to be back. So he's a player I've always enjoyed watching and I did a little bit of digging on his numbers from his first season. And he comes out really well in all kinds of metrics in terms of expected assists, key passes, expected goals, everything he's sort of in the top three or four in the squad really just outside kind of the main front three so there is quality it's just whether he can stay fit again because he kind of it was strange last season he had one sort of big calf injury and then it was just an unexplained absence that continued for most of the season really um so I'd like to see him back I think the other one that I'm interested in is Brewster um because if you go back to kind of this time last summer or, or July last summer, he was the story of pre-season. I think he got four goals in the first three matches. Um, and at the time, a lot of the talk about why Liverpool weren't going to sign anyone in the summer was because Brewster was seen as someone who could come in and, and be almost that first-choice sub off the bench, probably even ahead of Origi. And his performances initially backed it up. Um, I think that is the trouble with pre-season. There's always one player who who does something brilliant and you think, this could be their breakthrough i remember season's gone by iago aspas danny pacheco suzo was always one of them um and i think bruce has got more talent than a lot of those and obviously he's done brilliantly at swansea i think it was 11 and 22 so basically a goal every other game there since january um i think there is an opportunity for him i suspect a lot of it will come down to whether he can do bits and pieces out wide as well I think that will be key in terms of his chances um, but yeah he's one I'd like to see I think what makes this preseason different and difficult to assess in comparison to other ones is usually you'd have a few sort of domestic friendlies to begin with and then a tour whereas there's a little bit of tour but I think they're going to try and play a friendly against Salzburg uh, in the next few days if possible but that's obviously going to be behind closed doors I don't know if you even see the highlights so it's quite possible until the Community Shield and the first game of the season, you actually get to see anything um, of these players. So you have kind of got to go off bits and pieces of what you hear out of the camp, I suppose.
0: Dan, by the time this podcast is live, um, your piece about Brewster will, will be live. He's um, been linked, so it's 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 confirmed that you know Liverpool have had their half a dozen inquiries i think uh paul gorse wrote on on the echo um i think clubs such as newcastle Aston villa brighton crystal palace have, have been mooted uh in terms of a possible loan deal but but you feel like that's not a an option this summer
2: yeah i mean my, my worry chris is that if he, if he if he goes out on loan again it's sort of the beginning of the end um i think people might might see that as as absolutely crazy given the fact he's 20 years old and while I appreciate that my point is more that it's sort of if he doesn't get a chance this season when does he? Joel's reference to rigi and the uncertainty around him now more than ever we don't look like we're going to bring an attacker in there's, there's talk of Ismaili Asar but that all feels very very quiet and down in, in recent days um, and then there's the fixture chaos you know we're going to be playing sort of twice a week for a condensed period throughout the season. October through to new year basically is one, um, where I don't think we get a, a break given on what type of fixture, um, schedule is, is certainly proposed. So, so for me, I think there is I think there is a, a place for him to compete. I think sort of making him and a Regi compete for the same sort of role and position because there is certainly that job that Jürgen Klopp wants doing, whether it be from the start or from the bench, that we, we've we seen Origi struggle with at times last season. I, I think it's something I prefer. I think we should keep him. Um, I just don't see sort of, unless we've got a real plan to to embed him into the, the team and the squad next season, what we get out of sending him to Crystal Palace and, and Roy Hodgson, whereby, like you said earlier, Chris, you know, he has three games without a goal, and he's all of a sudden on the bench because Christian Benteke he's been given the nod, and he's asking for things on his head. So, yeah, it, it it doesn't. I don't see the I don't see the the appeal in it personally.
0: In terms of your storylines as well, Dan, what 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 are you looking forward to to seeing?
2: Yeah, similar. Um, Brewster is definitely one. Takumi Minamino um is a big one because I think sort of how we use Minamino is going to be telling. I, I've just referenced the fixtures there. Um, when we get the fixtures, the actual sort of games that we're playing, it's going to be really interesting to see sort of what the first half of the season looks like in terms of difficulty. I think if we've sort of got a, a fixture list that we're happy with for the first half of the season, I think you might see in what pre-season games we play, a couple of changes of shape where we look a little bit more four four two. 4 2 four two three one, you know, Shaqiri maybe comes back in as Joel's referenced. But then just how we use Minamino might give us an insight into into how the manager sees sort of saving legs for that first half of the season and making sure that the players can can be fit and firing at the business end of it. And and I think that will that'll be really interesting. That and also, you know, how he's developed, how he's sort of taken on board his first six months in, in English football, because it did look like a baptism of fire to him. Um, and, and and also, you know, the other one for me is Ox. I think I've been really surprised by just how many, how many people have said they would would sort of dispose of Oxley chamberlain And I've also sort of intimated that he had a bad season. He came back from a, a horrific, almost career-threatening injury. And I think that's been really unfair on him. I, th- I think in that context, he actually had a really good season. I think he had a, he, you know, he was, the, he was the highest scorer outside of, of the front three. Um, he, he was asked to do jobs in different places and and done them and worked hard for the team. And he didn't look out of place in the team. You know, he sort of knows where the press is. He knows, sort of, where to be when the ball breaks down in that very sort of Jurgen Klopp type mold. So that hasn't left him. Um, and for a, for a sort of comeback season, from what I say, like I say, it was a, a horrific injury. I think it's been really unfair to him. So I'm, I'm excited for Ox. I think he's got a big season ahead of him. And, and I think that that maturity he's got from sort of coming back and being part of the squad again after, after sort of not being part of the squad that won the Champions League, really, and to be part of the squad that won the Premier League, I think his confidence will be up.
0: I won't lie, Dan. I think you pick an Oxley Chamberlain and Minamino is throwing a lot of shade
2: my way. Um... Never, mate. Absolutely <laughs> not. <laughs> Although <laughs> I can't believe you you picked them as a number four in the tiers, but you know we'll leave that. To you.
0: <laughs> oh, I just, I, I don't think they're bad players. I just don't know if they're as good as maybe others think. But we'll see. I hope they, they prove me wrong. I also said Fabinho will be Sam Tordi on loan after. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm a, I'm the opposite of a broken clock. A, <laughs> um, in terms of mine, I, I'm not. I'll, I'll leave players. I mean, there's a couple of players I am interested in. I think Curtis Jones is, is really interesting. I do feel like he could actually become a, a genuine first team member where he's getting about 1,000 maybe 1,500 minutes. Um, I'm interested in Keita to see if A, he can keep fit and B, where he fits into this whole um, structure and, and, and set up. Um, you know, I, I don't know if anyone's a fan. I think you're a fancy football player, Joel, but well, fancy Premier League. He's 5.5 million at the moment and I think he could be an absolute steal. Um, but the, the storyline I'm, I'm really sort of interested in is, is around the fixtures and the return of football and what this looks like, and how it's going to impact how Liverpool plan. One of the big things I'm really interested in is is how meticulous Liverpool are generally around planning for things. It feels like things that everybody else disregards in terms of fixtures, lists coming out, and the Champions League dates, and, and Champions League draws, and that kind of thing. I feel like that's where Liverpool get their gains, because they actually sort of take that Data on board and, and use it to, to plan even further for the season. So I feel there's a lot of, you know, I think as you've just mentioned there, Dan, the idea of, you know, if, the, if there's an easier start to the season, does that mean Liverpool don't go for, the, for, for any sort of transfer window activity? If Liverpool have a, an awful six, seven games at the start of the season again, a little bit like last season, you know, that people forget, I think, how how difficult some of those games were. Um, you know, what do they do there? Do they decide or we, we, we need to sort of, you know, move into, in, into gear here around bringing some new players through? Look, Liverpool aren't going to sort of have a, a transfer market dictated by if they're playing West Ham or, or Man City in, in September or October. But what it will do is just sort of show them exactly how it works. And exactly what might be necessary of them. Um, You know, it's a very interesting fixture list, even without knowing who Liverpool are playing at the moment. He released it last week around, um, you know, what dates the match days are going to be. And and, and you'd already looked at it and you can see that the first half of the season seems a lot more bunched up than the second half of the season. Um, You know, there's a there's a there's a lot of midweek games, and um, there's that really really difficult December, which I think Liverpool are well they will be in the Champions League and and maybe even the League Cup. You're looking at maybe ten eleven games in December, so there's all of this sort of thing, which I don't think people will will be necessarily that interested in, especially because at the moment fans aren't allowed back in the stadiums. But I think it'll be really important to Liverpool, and I'll be really interested in seeing when the fixtures come out. And what happens next? I think one of the other things around that is, as I say, in terms of the fans, they return. Um, because I think that's going to make a, a massive difference. And I think it's important that at some point, and look, I mean, you know, football is, is not a priority at the moment. And, you know, I think we are just forced that we are watching large sports and, and we managed to see Liverpool lift the Premier League, given what's still going on in the world. And... Um, but I think at some point, there's got to be some sort of roadmap to what happens and when it happens in terms of fans getting back in the stadiums. And, you know, these these fixtures are going to matter in the sense of if Liverpool have to go to an empty Gildersen Park, an empty Old Trafford, um, an empty Turf Moor and an empty, uh, I was going to say White Hart Lane, but Tottenham Hotspur Stadium, that's a lot different than, than playing in front of a, a, a crowd, even if it's not at a full capacity. Um, so I, th- I think that's a really interesting uh, thing to, to, to note when the fixtures come out. It's just sort of who Liverpool are playing at the very start, who they might be playing when fans are returning. you know could you could you imagine if Liverpool sort of the first game back Liverpool were a home to, to man City? and even if there was only 25, thirty three percent of fans in the stadium, it'd be incredible. It'd be a fantastic occasion. and it'd be that sort of extra little boost for the players, the fact that they were playing in front of uh, in front of fans again. In such a high uh, a, a high importance game, whereas you know, if, if Liverpool are having to go to Gulliver Park and Old Trafford and fans are back in there, you know, we're not saying that that would necessarily daunt them, but you know, they're two places that Liverpool haven't won under Jay and Klopp apart from the uh the Savile Manny Derby um in 2016. So, you know, I think these kind of things, as well as how the players are doing in pre season, as well as like the transfer rumours. I think one of the big things is sort of what the Premier League and the government do around both the fixtures and the uh, the return to the stadiums. I don't know if anyone has anything to say about that. <laughs> <laughs> <That's laughs> you you just sit there. there just going, I can't believe he's just said that. I can't, I can't, why did you, you, you stick with Curtis Jones?
2: I heard, Joel, I heard Joel's name, so I just left it. Uh, you just nailed it so uh
1: comprehensively (laughs) we do agree though don't we in terms of
0: i think uh, people people are sleeping on this aren't they in terms of you know if anything and god this, this this might be a bit controversial but if anything i think this season's got more of an asterisk next to it than last season because i think there is no real things could things could open and then close again and be suspended and then start again and there could be players who are going down with COVIDs from certain teams. You've got the cross continental, well, the the intercontinental um, travel with the Champions League to factor in. It's just going to be a lot harder to deal with this season than last season. I think.
1: Definitely, I, the only thing I would add in terms of kind of the intensity of fixture schedule is if, if that does play into anyone's hands. I think Liverpool are better equipped than most. Um, I think it's no coincidence that almost every season under Klopp, but definitely the last two seasons i don't think they've they dropped a single point of the league in december i don't think over the last two seasons and i remember a lot of a conversation in 2019 and 20. i never know whether to refer to it as last season yet or the season just gone but we'll fix, say, your, fix your list fix your list makes it last season yeah we'll say 1920 but uh a lot of a conversation with that and the club world cup and everything was that that was going to be a hellish month for Liverpool, and they had to go to Qatar and come straight back, and then play Leicester away, and then have Wolves straight after that. And they cruised through it. And I think that's because, yeah, Klopp goes on about it all the time, but the importance of rhythm and momentum, I think, does sort of play into our hands as well. Um, just a to, to touch on a point Dan mentioned earlier as well about kind of to go back on a pre-season and things. I think all of this might sort of necessitate a bit more flexibility in terms of shape um, and stuff like that because Liverpool have played essentially the same, broadly the same way with some subtle tweaks for the last four seasons really. It's been 4-3-3 and I think there are ways where you can sort of balance the squad a little bit more by changing the shape. I did something for our What's Next series on the site about the 4-2-2 which is essentially a variation of the 4-4-2 but I think that Opens up a lot more kind of opportunities to players like Minamino, who at the moment it's like he's only really got one way into the team, which is where Firmino currently plays. He doesn't look like a wide forward or a midfielder. So I think you might see as a result of kind of yeah having a game every three days, Klopp needs to sort of yeah maybe change the shape a little bit more and to kind of use players that ordinarily might sort of struggle to make that four-three-three setup.
0: Thanks very really much, gents. I think we leave it there. Um, thank you very much for joining me this week, um, Joel and, and Dan, and thank you the the listener or the viewer, um, which, whichever way. Well, I don't know what should we should we try and, we'll come up with a name for them next week. You know, so, we'll come up. You know, so, so the, the the acolytes or the disciples. That's prob- that's probably a little too. Uh, that's probably a little bit too. Uh, the dot coms maybe I don't know. Well, uh, thank you. Uh, if you've stuck this far with us, it is very much appreciated and, um, you know, make sure you are checking us out on, uh, on social media and uh, make sure you're, you're getting involved in our poll and um, we'll be talking about that next week. Uh, make sure you're, you're giving a subscribe to the uh, Blood Red channel in general. You've got all sorts of great stuff on there and also just make sure that you're, you're giving a like as well and a subscribe to the YouTube channel. Uh, we're getting closer and closer to 100,000 subscribers. And I heard if that happens, then Oli Connolly might uh, streak naked down Oxford Road in Manchester. Um, don't quote me on that one. Um, so, yeah, So thanks very much for joining us this week. Um, we'll be back next week. Hope you, uh, hope you enjoy the, the Champions League. Hope you enjoy the Europa League. Uh, and we'll keep an eye on, on pre-season and see what develops there. So, uh, in the meantime, take care and stay safe. Thank you.
1: You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.